He is worthy. That's what I want to focus our hearts this morning as we been reading through the New Testament, we arrive at the last book, the book of Revelation. And I want to shed some light this morning on what our heart needs to be focused on when we're thinking about these big things. And if you have your Bibles, we have a long reading to do. In Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, we're going to read from 1 down to 11. And I would highly encourage you to take notes, one of those messages that I believe you need to sit with to help you ground yourself in the Word of God. And before we read, let me just take a moment and say hi to our friends in Forever. I want to welcome you to church this morning. And also, everyone watching online, I'm glad you tuned in this morning to church. Fellas, you heard about Saturday we have a men's event. Love to see you there. Uh, make sure you uh, bring some Bengay with you. Because make sure you get an oil change before you come. Get a tune-up. Uh, sign a waiver. We're not responsible for anything going wrong with your body. We are going to attempt a men's event, an Olympics event. Uh, there's going to be different activities. Even if you don't want to participate, you can come and be a coach, uh, a cheerleader, or just come for the food. I would come just for the food. We're going to have awesome food. And then we're going to have a word specifically for the men of the house. So I hope to see all you men there this Saturday. Here's what the Bible says, Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. It says... This is a revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. He sent an angel to present this revelation to his servant John, who faithfully reported everything he saw. This is his report of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. God blesses the one who reads the words of this prophecy to the church. And he blesses all who listen to his message and obey what he says, for the time is near. This letter is from John to the seven churches in the province of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. If you're taking notes, it's important to understand this letter was specifically written to the seven churches in the specific time. Grace and peace to you from the one who is, who was, and who is still to come from the sevenfold spirit before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. He is the faithful witness to these things, the first to rise from the dead and the ruler of all the kings of the world. All glory to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by shedding his blood for us. He has made us a kingdom of priests for God his Father. All glory and power to him forever and ever Amen. Look, he comes with the clouds of heaven, and everyone will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the nations of the world will mourn for him. Yes, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, says the Lord God. I am the one who is, who always was, and who is still to come, the Almighty One. Verse 9, I, John... Am your brother and your partner in suffering and in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. I was exiled to the island of Patmos for preaching the word of God and for my testimony about Jesus. It was the Lord's day, a Sunday, and I was worshiping in the spirit. Suddenly, I heard behind me a loud voice, like a trumpet blast. It said, write in a book or a scroll everything you see and send it to the seven churches in the cities of Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. This is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen? Amen. So the question is, are we living 
in the last days. Every few years, I would say this, every generation comes face to face with these questions. Who is the Antichrist and what is the mark of the beast? And, and, and the imagination runs wild. If you go on YouTube, you'll get lost in the sea of interpretations about this particular book. And before I get into it, I just want to make a disclaimer that there is a lot of noise, a lot of fear, a lot of sensationalism around this topic. And if you've been here long enough, you know that I don't believe in unhealthy fears. I don't believe in pumping sensationalism into the atmosphere. I'm interested in grounding us in the Word of God. Most specifically, I'm interested in grounding us in the original context of the Word. And then ask the question, how does it apply to us today? Right? Because, my friends, when you read scriptures, you're reading words that were written to a specific people in a specific time before you can translate it into where we are today. If you take your notes, the word revelation is the word apocalypse in Greek. And it means to unveil or to uncover or to reveal. It's like as if there is more that meets the eye that we're not seeing. It's like watching a movie and, 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 and the plot begins to thicken and you begin to see, oh wait, there's more here that I didn't realize is happening. And so Jesus comes to this man, this pastor named John, to give him an understanding of what was happening in their midst, in their time. This wasn't about what was to come later. First, Jesus was trying to establish that, hey, I know what's happening right now in your time period, and I'm here to ground you in my truth. And I'm here to ground you in a greater reality than what you're facing. Are you tracking so far? And so let me give you perspective here. The, 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 where John was, go ahead and throw up that map. John was in this, uh, it's a little blurred, unfortunately. I hope you can see it up there. But John was isolated to this little island in Patmos here because John was a preacher of the gospel and John was the pastor that oversees these congregations. Which, just a, just a side note, I love that this has been here from the beginning, that you could be a pastor of many congregations within a certain region. And we're believing that we're here in New Bedford forever. We're gonna go to Brockton and... <laughs> we didn't come up with the idea. We're just plagiarizing. So he's here, isolated, and Jesus comes to him and says, I have a message for you to bring to this congregation. And we've been saying this, the letters was a technology of the day. They didn't have emails, they didn't have Instagram, they didn't have Facebook. So Jesus comes and says, I want you to write down what I'm about to reveal to you so that you can bring this message to these congregations in this time period. Are you tracking so far? This is important. Before we make the leap to today, you have to see where it was for them back in this day. This happened because they were going through a very difficult time. The book of Revelation is dated to be written between 80 and 90 AD. When we study the Gospel of Mark, we gave you a lesson called birth pains. And you might wanna revisit that one to understand the historical ramifications of the persecution. They're coming out of an intense persecution led by an emperor named Nero. In 64 AD, Rome burned and Nero blamed the Christians as a superstition because they wouldn't worship their gods. And so they're coming out of an intense persecution where a lot of them has lost their lives and John is here because he's being isolated to die basically by himself. He's one of the few remaining original apostles. 
And so 64 AD was extremely intense. And in 70 AD, we know that, that the, the, the prophecy that Jesus gave came to pass. Rome came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple and killed many, many people. And they began to be dispersed all over the place because of persecution. But as they disperse, they begin to bring the gospel to other areas of the world. Next week, I'll talk about how in the middle of all of this, Christianity never stopped growing. It's important to understand that because this thing should have died here with all this persecution. But actually, the persecution made the faith even stronger and it reached even more people. So pay attention to what God is doing. Don't let what you see in the natural dictate what's happening in the spirit. Nero commits suicide. Nero dies and, and, and Rome had many different generals fighting for position. Emperor Domitian comes into power and Rome's conquest, please catch this, it's all relevant. Rome's conquest, they, they call it their gospel. The gospel of Rome was the Pax Romana, meaning the peace of Rome. Rome will go into a, a, an area, will conquer it, and force you to worship the emperor as a god. And if you didn't worship the emperor as a god, then you would basically be crucified for defying the Roman Empire. So they believe in peace by violence. That was Rome's gospel. Pax Romana, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is the boss. Caesar is everywhere. And if you live in this time period, you can escape the reality of Caesar. From the marketplace to the arena, to your, to your coins, the money, it all point to Caesar. Caesar was everywhere. And it was on purpose because they wanted to propagate that he is the savior of the world. So far, so much so that there was a song, Caesar had a choir that would follow him. And this choir would sing, get this, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honor, and power. If you don't submit, better yet, if you submit, you become a citizen of the Roman Empire. If you don't, you resist, you get conquered anyways, because they were the greatest empire of that time. You would be crucified publicly. They said you can walk the streets and see hundreds of people being crucified. And they did it publicly to make a statement. You don't want to mess with Rome. It was basically military victory for them meant peace. Catch this. Caesar, to them, is the son of God sent to earth to bring about a universal reign of peace and prosperity. But it's only peace if you are holding the sword. Problem is, Christians believe that Jesus is Lord. So they began a resistant movement against the Caesar, against the Lord of the empire, not by violence, but by peace. Because, please get this, their conviction was rooted in the reality that the world is not made better through military violence, but through compassion and sacrificial love led by Jesus who crucified himself, who allowed himself to be crucified for the sins of the world. And so now they live in this, in this period where Jesus is Lord. If Jesus is Lord, then Jesus is the anti-Caesar. Better to be crucified and to rule by force is the message of Jesus. So when you get to the book of Revelation, you, you are reading a message to a group of people who are being oppressed by a military power that believes you need to worship their emperor as a savior, and that goes against the grain of everything that a believer believes in 
that, no, we do have a Lord already. We do have a Savior, and he doesn't force us to worship him. He actually gives his life for us so that we can willingly submit our lives to him in worship. So Revelation, my friends, displays a lot of symbolic language. And here's where it gets tricky. It was not to satisfy the curiosity about the future, but it was to encourage the people of God to endure in the moment. It's filled with Old Testament phraseology. If you really want to understand the book of Revelation, you have to also understand how the prophets would speak. Prophets had a way with words, and, and back in those days, they, 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 people would not feel like some of these languages was, was foreign to them. They would actually understand, wow, you're actually trying to give us pictures of things deeper that's happening around us and help us have a framework of understanding because some of this stuff is so heavy that you need certain words to kind of resonate. If you're familiar with poetry, you know that, that poetry is, is about playing with words. And sometimes some things are so heavy that, that you don't even know how to explain it. You're trying to give a picture of what the reality is. That's why when you read any prophetic messages, it's, filled, it's laced with symbolic images. If you read Daniel, if you read Isaiah, if you read uh, Ezekiel, you will have a better understanding of this type of narration. See, the extravagant figure of speech, it sounds strange to us, but not to them. They were used to it. They knew that when a prophet is speaking, he's giving you symbolic languages. If I, if I could translate it in today's words, when you watch movies like Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with Lord of the Rings, you know that Tolkien, a believer, was trying to give you a picture of what spiritual warfare looks like. That it's a real thing, but it's so powerful, it's beyond our understanding that he's trying to give you images and symbolisms to help you understand, man, that's more than meets the eye here. If you ever read Chronicles of Narnia, or even Harry Potter, right, all of this stuff is rooted on a greater reality that is happening in front of you. Right, that not everything there is meant to be taken literally, but there's a literal battle happening at the same time. So, let me help us understand a couple of these things. Every few years, we get obsessed with the mark of the beast. Right, every so often this comes around. I'm hearing rumors of it right now around the vaccine. You heard rumors of this in the 80s around the microchips. Right? There's been many understandings of, of this thing, but you gotta go back to the original context. Why are they talking about the mark of the beast for them in their original setting? That's what's important. So let's read. The only time this is mentioned is in Revelation 13, the only time. Right? And this is what he says. He says, a, 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 a form of a dragon will come and rule people and would force them to take this mark. Watch, this is what he says, word for word. Right? It says, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be giving a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. Wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. His number is 666. What does that mean to them? That's the first question you have to ask before you say, is it a vaccine? <laughs> Let me give you some context. Again, I'm not into sensationalism. I'm into history. In order... If you live in that time period under the Roman Empire, in order for you, for example, let's say you're a farmer, because in those days farming was one of the greatest industries. If you're a believer and you need to go to the farmer's market to sell in order to sustain your family, in order to take care of your people, you're going to a, a farmer's market that is ruled by the empire. 
In order for you to enter the farmer's market, you have to burn incense in the name of the emperor. You are not allowed to buy or sell without first burning incense, which means it's a symbol of worship. You have to worship the emperor in order to be able to sell anything in that time period. Problem is, if you know anything about Jewish understanding, in Jewish thinking, anyone who claims to be God was like a beast. Because they're like, you have to be deformed in understanding to think you're God. So they would call him a beast, right? So in Jewish thinking, if, if I offer incense, it's like taking the mark of a beast right. instead of being under the anointing of the real God. So you are caught in this dilemma, what do I do? Do I offer incense? Because if I don't, then I'm not allowed to buy and sell. I can't take care of my family. So you see the dilemma that they find themselves in. 666, my friends, for them meant something very different than we have made it to be today. We've made a mess out of this thing. (laughs) Hebrew understanding, numbers have meaning. The number six is the number of man, because why God created man in the sixth day. You need a witness of three to establish anything in the Jewish thinking. So when you see three, the number of man three times, it's saying this is man on his own merit, in his own understanding, away from the will and the purpose of God, because if six is the number of man, seven is the number of completion in God's will. So that's why he's saying you need an understanding. Why? Because for them, numbers has meanings not just in the natural sense, but numbers is also how you have the alphabet of the Jewish alphabet. And for a lot of them, the interpretation that they would have once you put these numbers together with the alphabet is that this spells out Nero Caesar. So for them in that time period is a number of an emperor and an emperor who wants to be worshiped, we can't worship him because he's a beast. So they, they are caught in this dilemma that they, if I'm willingly burning incense, I am willingly giving my worship to a lesser God. Please get this, because one of the unhealthy fears around this name, this number is, what if I get it accidentally? You cannot worship something by accident. You have to willingly want to worship something. Listen, I'm not for or against vaccine. That's a personal conscious decision that every person has to make. But we have to be careful with the sensationalism behind it, that if you're taking a vaccine, that you're taking the mark of the beast. No, listen, worship is something that you do willingly from your heart. No one can make you worship something that you don't want to worship. So for them, when you, when, see, you have to understand the Hebrew understanding of the forehead and the right hand is a symbol of how you think and what you do. The Bible says, whatever you think or do, do in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to him. In other words, if I do this, then I'm going against the grain of who who God is and what he created me to be. And if you remember the gospel of Mark, we talked about every Hebrew starts their way with the prayer, the Shema. Hear the Lord, our God is one, and you must worship the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So this is the anti-Shema. That's why it's called the anti-Christ. It's everything opposite of who Christ is. It's more than a sign, it's a philosophy of life, it's a worldview. Do you want to live as Jesus being the Lord of your life or do you want something less than to rule your life? So you don't have to be afraid of a number, it's the symbol behind it, it's the worldview behind it, it's the perspective behind it, it's, it's who is the Lord of your life? Who, who governs your thinking? And who inspires your doing? Your right hand is what you do. Your mind is how you think, how you process things. 
It's not a literal number to be afraid. It's a philosophy. It's an anti-God philosophy. It's an anti-Shema philosophy. Because if I'm not worshiping God, I'm worshiping something less than who he is. And we get to the word antichrist. The word antichrist is not in the book of Revelation. It doesn't mean the anti-spirit is not there, but the word itself is not there. We find the word antichrist. I want to show it to you because, again, I'm trying to, I want to try to do my best to take away a lot of the unhealthy fears. It's found four times in scriptures. Every time it's found in the smaller books that John wrote to the congregations that he was responsible for. I want to give it to you as is. Go ahead. Go to the first one. Look. Dear children, the last hour is here. By the way, anytime the Bible says the last hour, for them, the moment that Jesus went back to heaven, the last hour began. Jesus himself said, no one knows the day or the hour. Right? He said, be prepared, be ready, spread the word, live right and expect me to come back, but no one knows the day or the hour. The apostle Peter says, one day is like a thousand years, a thousand years is like a day to the Lord. And he says, the Lord continues to slow down the day because he wants more people to be saved in his goodness and his mercy. So anytime you, have, you, you find someone trying to predict, run. Because no one is smarter than Jesus. And Jesus said, I don't even know when he was on earth. He's talking about from a limited standpoint, he's like, only the Father knows. So do not buy into the sensationalism of this is when it's going to happen. Many people have tried to predict the end of the world and they've been wrong every single time. So please stay away. Listen, as your pastor, please stay away from freaking YouTube. sick of it. Every other day we got a prophet out there. But look, the last hour is here. In other words, we are living in the time where Jesus has fulfilled what he came to fulfill and any given moment he can come back, right? That's what he's saying, right? So listen, this was written 2,000 years ago, but one day is like 1,000 years to God. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming and already many such Please catch this, such antichrists have appeared. From this we know that the last hour has come. Many antichrists have appeared. Anytime someone is trying to propagate something other than Jesus, that's an anti-Jesus spirit. It's not one person or two persons, it's a philosophy. Go on, next one. And who is a liar? Anyone who says that Jesus is not the Christ, anyone who denies the Father and the Son is an antichrist. You get that? Okay, so it's not one person, two people. It's a philosophy. It's a worldview of understanding. Like if you're not worshiping Jesus, you're worshiping something less than. And remember, worship is a willing thing, not a forced thing. So anyone who denies Jesus as the Messiah, go to the third one. But if someone claims to be a prophet and does not acknowledge the truth about Jesus, that person is not from God. Such a person has the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming into the world and indeed is already here. We have all, always lived with a spirit of the Antichrist in our midst. And the last one, I say this because many deceivers have gone out into the world. They deny that Jesus Christ came in a real body. Such a person is a deceiver and an antichrist. Context is important. In that time period, Greeks believe that the body, the flesh, is evil. So a lot of people begin to say, there's no way Jesus could come in the flesh because the flesh is evil. So how can God be in the flesh? And John is saying, well, the problem is we ate with Jesus. We talked with Jesus. We, we, we interacted with Jesus. We lived with him for over three years. He came in the body. And everyone who tells you he didn't come in the body is a deceiver. 
Because Jesus had to be fully in the body to pay for the sins of the world. He could not just be an angel that appeared to be in the body. No, he was mind, body, and soul, a human being. And that's why we're able to come to him and, and worship him because he knows what it means to be human. So one of the philosophies that you hear people say is that Jesus was just a figure that looked like he was real. John is like, no, no, that's, that's the wrong gospel. Jesus was a real human being. If he's not, then he can't understand what you're going through. You can't say he's worthy if he has an experience what he means to be human. Are you tracking? So my friends, please hear me. Context matters. When we're talking about scriptures, context matters. You first have to always go back to the original. What are they trying to say before we take a leap forward to what it's trying to say to us? Now, here's where most people miss the message of Revelation. Did you catch at the beginning? He says, I'm writing this to the churches. He said, I didn't write this for you to be creating charts and graphs and, 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 and build doom day prepping in Montana and go deep under, you know, terrain. He's, I'm writing to you, the church. Who is the church? The people of God. So pay attention. Like to me, the, the heart of the message of Revelation is Jesus is Lord and church, pay attention. So he says, give this message to my church. What is the message? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> this is the message. Seven churches in that area. But catch this. Look how brilliant John is. Caesar says he's Lord. He's like, no, Jesus is Lord. Caesar says, pay homage to me. Who is worthy? He's like, no, you're not. We know the lamb. Caesar would come around during the Olympic Games. And what Caesar would do is Caesar would address his leaders in every province. And what he would do in that address, he would, he would praise them for what they're doing right, but then he would hold them accountable for the things that they're doing wrong. But Caesar ruled by force. If you don't get it right, you're in trouble. Understand this. This is why Pilate, I'm gonna give you a little history here. This is why Pilate says, I'll wash my hands of this thing because I don't wanna be in trouble with Caesar. If there is chaos, Caesar doesn't like chaos, it's on me. That's why the, the Roman soldiers who were watching the tomb and they didn't know what the heck happened to the tomb, they're like, yo, we're gonna get killed. Caesar don't play. He addresses what you're doing right and then he addresses what you're doing wrong, but he rules with force. Jesus comes on his season and says, I'm Lord, let me address my church. So John, tell the church what they're doing right, but also, hold them accountable for what they need to do. So you understand what's happening? Jesus thinking he's ruling. Jesus is like, no, I rule. I just rule in a different kingdom. I don't rule by force. People have to willingly want to follow me. So watch this. So watch this, right? Because this is where you need to pay attention. If you're the church of Jesus Christ, if you're the believers, if you are in Jesus, this is what should focus you. The ch this message that he's sending to the church. So what does he say to the churches? Let's go. Let's look, let's look at them. First church, Ephesus. He says, hey, I want to praise you for your hard work and patience endurance. He says, I want to praise you that you don't tolerate evil people in your midst. But then he says, I want to praise you because you call out some of these false prophets who are teaching that Jesus was not fully human. Like you, you, you held them accountable. But then he says, now, I do have a couple of things I want you to do better. He says, you don't love me or each other as you did at first. Pay attention. In the middle of all the chaos in our world, it's easy for our love to grow cold. Matter of fact, Jesus said, Matthew 24, he says, one of the signs of the end is the love of many will wax cold. So be careful. This is so important. Please hear me. This is my heart. This is my pastor's heart. Hear me on this. We have to be careful that we're doing all of this stuff about the end times, but we're losing the most important thing. 
which is love God and love people. Here's why this is so difficult, because, because the enemy uses people, but we don't fight people. Right. Uh, battles against principalities of darkness, rulers of evil who are trying to infiltrate. And if you, listen, if you don't use discernment, you will, you will, you will hurt people that God is trying to love. You, you see how this could happen easily? Because we can get so bugged down, we can get so cynical and so judgmental and so into our heads that we will miss the mission that God has us on. This is why it's called the Enteshema, because now you're going to worship fear instead of worshiping the God of the universe. Now you're going to vilify people who God is trying to reach as opposed to loving your neighbor so they can also see the light and also come into salvation. Remember, listen, I have to say this to bring some context. Your boss may not know Jesus. And he's trying his best or her best to do her job. And you don't know the pressure that's coming from above her. And you're over here giving her a hard time instead of praying for breakthrough in in her life. That's who we're called to be, my friends. Jesus says to this first church, turn back to me. Repent. You know what repent means? Change your mind. Metanoia. You're going this way. Hear me. My heart breaks for this. We have bought into a cultural war that is not the gospel. We have made this thing us versus them. It's not the gospel. Next week I'll talk about how they did this. They did this so well that Romans begin to say, tell us more about your savior. Because they love people well. Listen, the cultural war is not the gospel. If you don't understand what I'm trying to say with the cultural war is, you know, there's a right side and then there's a bad side. No, it's all bad. Jesus is the right side. To the second church in Smyrna, look what he says. He says, he says, you are poor but rich. Again, I don't know what this, you have to pay attention. Who is Jesus speaking to? Us. And it's going to hit differently for where you are right now in your life. Pay attention. This is the message of Revelation that you need to pay attention to. It says, you are poor but rich. Why? Because we know in empires, rich means everything. But he say, no, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall see God. You are being opposed by the enemy. Pay attention. It's not your boss, it's the enemy. Don't be afraid. Remain faithful. I don't know what that's for today. Don't be afraid. Remain faithful. To the third church in Pergamum, he says, remain loyal to Jesus. I praise you for remaining loyal. But he says, I got a problem with you. You tolerate false teaching. You're tolerating some of these guys who are coming in and preaching a gospel less than what Jesus had in mind. That's what I'm saying. Be careful with YouTube. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter my kingdom, Jesus said. False teaching, watch this, Jesus makes it clear. He says, here's some of the false teaching in this particular church. He says, false teaching of food offered to idols, burning incense to worship the wrong God, and sexual sin. Pay attention to sexual sin. God doesn't go sign it. God has a purpose even for your sexuality, and it is marriage between a man and a woman. Pay attention. Our culture is trying to redefine sexuality right now. But remember, we're not fighting our culture. We're fighting the principalities. We're trying to redefine what God already established. Pay attention. He says, repent of your sin. Every single letter, turn to me. That's what repentance is. Next one. 
the hardest one to say, Tyre, I think. I googled it. Pronounce Tyre, Tyre. Okay. He said, I have seen, watch this beautiful praise from Jesus. I have seen your love, faith, service, and patient endurance. Constant improvement in all these things. Come on, somebody. That's an awesome praise. But you are permitting a Jezebel spirit that leads people astray. What is a Jezebel spirit? Jezebel was an anti-Christ spirit all the way back in the Old Testament. He fought against Elijah. He made Elijah run. He says, I'm going to kill you, you prophet of God. There's a lot of fear in the air right now. Just trying, to, just trying to shut down the church. You have to understand there's a spirit. When they were trying to close churches, you have to understand there's a natural and then there's a supernatural spirit who is trying to come against the church of Jesus Christ. She teaches sexual sin. We're not going to get away from this thing, my friends. Jesus is reluctant on this. He's like, man, I have a plan. And food offered to idols. Same thing as the other church. Repent. But this one, Jesus gets a little bit more like, this is not your cute, beautiful, shampooed hair, blue eyes Jesus. <laughs> this is the lamb and the lion. Repent or I'll give you what you deserve. Hold tightly until I come. Again, I don't know who he's talking to today, but this is the church of Jesus Christ. Keep going. Next one, Sardis. He says, you have a reputation from being alive, but you are dead. You know what that is? Dead religion. Hear me on this now. There's a lot of people in churches who are dead. They look good, but there's nothing going on. They have no Shema. They have no love for God. They're just going through the motions. I would say this, it's worse to be in dead religion than to be out in the world. Because out in the world, you don't know any better, but to be dead in the house is the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. He says, wake up! Wake up from your slumber. Wake up from your spiritual apathy. Wake up from your spiritual laziness. Wake up! If anything that we've seen the last 16 to 18 months, God is trying to say to his church, wake up. Wake up. Watch this. Your actions do not meet the requirement of my God. Did you catch that? It says, don't just say you love me. Does your actions reflect that you love me? How many people, I love God. You look at their lives, you're like, you don't. Your actions don't back up that you love God. You can't love God and love sin. You can't love God and live in sin. You can't love God and sleep with whoever you want to and think you're loving God. You can't love God and cheat people. You can't love God and hurt people. You can't love God and do whatever the heck you think you want to do. Because you're going to be in for a rude awakening. Go back. Watch this to what you heard and believe at first. It's like, man, you, you had faith. Go back to it. Go back to basics. Go back to submission. Go back to worship. Go back to accountability. Hold to it firmly. You'll see this throughout the book of Revelation. Hold on to your faith. Repent. You see in a common denominator here repent and turn to me again I see people people will fight me over their sins instead of repenting for their sins people will fight me to be right instead of fighting to be righteous repent and turn to God while there is still time Philadelphia not the city of brotherly love, but the first one. He says, look at this. Again, another praise. You have little strength, yet you obey my word. I don't know who God is speaking to today, but receive it. 
Watch this. I love this. Liars will bow down at your feet and acknowledge you as the one I love. Don't worry about people lying, saying all kinds of stuff about you because you're following Jesus. Jesus is like, I got your back. I got your back. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take it away from, take away your crown. You're a king and a queen in God's house. Hold on to it. Don't let anyone deviate you from his will and his purpose. And then last one, worship team, you guys can come. This is a heavy one. He ends with the church letter to say, he says, you are lukewarm water. I will spit you out. He says, I'd rather you be hot or cold. At least you have a purpose. You know what lukewarm is? It's like you're good for nothing. You are wretched and miserable and poor and naked. Naked is not physical nakedness. It's you have no covering. Buy gold from me that has been purified by fire. In other words, invest in what matters. Invest in what matters. Buy white garments from me so that you will not be ashamed by your nakedness. This is be clothed with righteousness. Righteousness. We live, everybody wants to be right. He's like, no, 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 righteousness. Holiness. An ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see you're blind. Some people can see physically, but then I see it in the spirit. It says you're blind. I correct, watch this. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Amen. I tell you something. If you're not hearing the correction discipline of God, that you're not hearing his love. This message is all out of love. He doesn't want you to miss out on what he's doing. So watch this, be diligent and turn from your indifference. Indifference. People going to church. Who cares? Whatever. It's like, wow. You think that's what Jesus died for? God knows my heart. No, it's more than your heart. C.S. Lewis said, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's gradual. It's slow. It's a slippery slope that you're gradually going, descending without even realizing it. So be diligent, he says. Pay attention. This is a, we're coming out of a mature series. I hope you understand. This is a mature word. This is not for people who want to stay in the flesh and do whatever you want to do and then call yourself a follower of Jesus because he's going to hold you accountable. So here's the conclusion, my friends. John says, don't fall for the lie. The lie of fear. The lie of it's all doom and gloom. We're all going to go to hell. No, hell is real. That's why he's sending this message. Don't fall for the lie. Don't be seduced by the power of the empire. This is a tough one to understand. I don't know if you understand this, but we live in an empire. I don't know if you watched the news this week. We just confessed that we hit the wrong target and killed innocent people. You think God's not going to hold us accountable for killing innocent people? My friends, America also needs Jesus. The overall theme of the whole Bible is that God hates bullies. You don't believe me? Exodus, God's like, I hate that the Egyptians are oppressing my people. Go liberate them. Assyrians, Babylonians, Romans. We've got to be careful with the narrative that we're on the right side. 
Because everybody who tells you that they're on the right side never asks the question, could I be wrong? I remember one time I was still, when I was still a teacher, we had the war in Iraq, and I heard kids indoctrinated by their parents saying, man, we should bomb them all. And I said, you don't realize that there are kids in, in classrooms in Iraq praying right now, God, please don't let a bomb hit us. I'm telling you, there is, there is American Christianity, then there's being a Christian in America. And for saying that, some will go on YouTube and say, I'm a false teacher because I don't support America. No, I love America. I want America to repent and find Jesus. I, I pray for our president. I pray for the staff. I pray for, the, for everyone. I pray, I don't care if you're Democrat, Republican, I want you to find the greatest king of all, which is Jesus Christ. Because if you read Revelation, my friends, I don't know if you caught this, but the lamb was slain. I've seen who is in charge of the world, and it's not Caesar, it's Jesus Christ. And it tells you that God in Jesus has dealt with evil so that evil will not have power over anyone who professes Jesus as the Lord and Savior of their lives. And I want to tell you today, there's a reality beyond every circumstance that you're facing right now. It's rooted in God's love for all creation. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. And he said one day, heavenly will bow, and every time we'll confess that he's Lord. But it's better to do it willingly than to be forced to do it. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would confirm your word in our hearts. Give us the right revelation of your word and your truth. I pray that everyone who can hear the sound of my voice this morning in person online will make the conscious decision to surrender to Jesus Christ, to repent of our sins, and to confess you as the Lord and Savior of our lives, and to live with the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. The more we live in the fear of the Lord, the more we will be clear of unhealthy fears and, and sensationalism and lies. Lord, ground us in our faith. Ground us in truth this morning. Spirit of Jesus, come and yes. reveal yourself yes. like you reveal yourself to John and to those first believers Come and reveal yourself to us. We love you, Lord. We need your presence. I pray we don't leave this place without true repentance. And say, Lord, take my life. Forgive me, Lord. Empower me to be faithful until you take me home. And we pray these things in Jesus' mighty name. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.